In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Over the past few months, special rapporteur David Johnston had been working diligently to determine exactly who knew what and when when it came to foreign election interference and what Canada should do about it. He had determined two weeks ago that a public inquiry was not necessary and he continued work on his next report. Despite criticism, partisanship and resistance, he vowed not to stop. I will continue to invite disagreement on my recommendations, but will not be deterred from completing my work. And then, on Friday, David Johnston stopped. My objective was to help build trust in our democratic institutions. I have concluded that given the highly partisan atmosphere around my appointment and work, my leadership has had the opposite effect. Johnston announced his resignation late last Friday afternoon, which forced Ottawa and those who spend their time covering what happens in Ottawa to use their weekend to wonder, huh, okay, what now? Johnston may have dismissed the idea of an inquiry, but with him on his way out the door and the critiques of the Trudeau government not getting any quieter, it seems that the minister in charge of intergovernmental affairs has perhaps had a change of heart, though he wouldn't put it that way. A public inquiry has never been off the table. All options remain on the table. Now, it is Monday afternoon. The story of foreign interference and the Trudeau government's response to it remains the biggest political story in the country. Why did Johnston quit? What happens now? Will getting what they want with his resignation satisfy opposition critics? And will Canadians now finally get the inquiry basically everyone seems to want? And if they do, when? And who runs it? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Cormac McSweeney is the City News reporter on Parliament Hill. He reports from Parliament Hill for us as well. When things in Canadian federal politics need explaining which is every few weeks these days. Hello, Cormac. Hello. Why don't we start with Friday? Uh, Just as we thought we were out of the news cycle, take me back to Friday around 5 p.m. Eastern time. How did we learn that David Johnston had resigned? And, you know, what did he say? What was the breaking news like? Yeah, I think most reporters probably thought their workday was done uh, on Friday. But then came what what we in the industry call the Friday news dump. Whenever Mm -hmm. a government, when they want to bury something in the news cycle, they dump it on a Friday. (laughs) And that's what happened here. Uh, Late Friday in the day, we get this resignation letter that David Johnston had sent to the prime minister where he said, basically, look, uh, I really wanted to come out and do some objective work here to help build trust in our democratic institutions. But given the highly partisan atmosphere around my appointment and my work, 
His leadership has had the opposite effect, and therefore he is resigning no later than the end of June. Uh, and he's going to continue some work, trying to wrap up some loose ends about the work that he's doing, but is essentially saying, government, you take it from here, and uh, I will try and help the best I can moving forward, but I'm out. And this, of course, comes after a lot of controversy and questions about his work. Uh, we heard from the opposition claiming that he was a ski buddy. Uh, that's the conservative line to the prime minister, although uh, the skiing in question happened when Justin Trudeau was a child. But nonetheless, there were connections to the Trudeau Foundation. He was a member of the Trudeau Foundation. And then not long before this had happened, uh, there was a House of Commons vote where all opposition parties called on him to resign. He said at the time that he was going to continue his work regardless of that. So this was kind of both expected and unexpected, this resignation, because he had vowed to stay on. But then that news story came out that he had hired the same crisis comms firm that had represented liberal MP Han Dong, somebody he was investigating in relation to foreign interference yeah. and had cleared in his first report. And so all of this was just mounting one thing on top of the other. And it all came to this point on Friday when he handed in his resignation letter. As you pointed out as recently as a couple of weeks ago, um, he was adamant that partisanship and criticism wouldn't uh, deter him from submitting his next report. Obviously, something changed. You kind of mentioned the optics around this. Given where uh, this entire situation was at, and, you know, as you kind of ran through the previous few weeks, like, it was pretty clear the situation was not holding up in, in the face of criticism. Yeah, and, and, you know, the thing about conflict of interest is sometimes not whether or not it is provable. It is the optics of it all, uh, prima facie, on the face of it. If it looks like there's a conflict of interest, then your integrity is called into question. And then, mm. you know, right now, the whole question about this process is around the integrity of our elections, our democracy, voting in the government that makes the decisions for our whole nation. And that is at the heart of the matter here. And so the person looking into that um, should be beyond questions of integrity, beyond questions of partisanship. David Johnson felt that he was that person and he didn't like the criticisms that were being aimed at him from the opposition. However, on the face of it, there were many questions about whether he was the right person to do the job or not. Mm -hmm. And in the end, he decided that he needed to resign as he says in his letter, to make sure that Canadians can once again have trust in our democratic institutions. So over the weekend, there was some obvious immediate reaction. Um, I want to ask you about both sides of it. First, the government, who, again, recently was adamantly supporting him as an, as an impartial decision maker. Um, what have they said on the record about his departure? And uh, opposition critics, are they expressing satisfaction with this move? Uh, are they supporting him in making this decision? Well, uh, we'll start with the government. I mean, the government blames the opposition for right. what's happened here. Uh, Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc has actually now been tasked with the job of choosing the next steps, the path forward for the government here. Uh, but he released a statement saying that, uh, you know, the partisan attacks levied by the Conservative Party against David Johnston, our former governor general, were unwarranted and unacceptable 
And he says that democracy requires us to rise above partisan considerations. And he's repeated that several times. I think he even used the word buffoonery to describe the attacks from the opposition, hmm. um, calling their attacks against Johnston exaggerated as well. So, you know, it's clear where the government thinks the problem here is. It's not In their eyes, it's not David Johnston. It's the conservatives for creating questions about David Johnston. For the opposition parties, though, they see it a lot differently. Uh, I believe both the conservatives and the NDP feel that Johnston did the right thing by stepping away. Of course, they had voted for that very thing in the House of Commons, and they were not happy when Johnston said that he wasn't going to step down after that vote because they felt he should cede to the will of parliament. But he said, look, I, I, I serve at the leisure of the prime minister and the government, not necessarily the House of Commons, and I'm going to continue my work on. However, uh, they say this is making it more clear that uh, we need to have a public inquiry into all of this. And that's what one thing that was really interesting about the reaction from the government, because Dominic LeBlanc initially put out a statement uh, that we got Friday night. Then on Saturday morning, he decided to hold a news conference to talk a little bit more about this. And he said a public inquiry was never off the table for the government. But of course, you know, for months we've been talking about the possibility of a public inquiry and the government has kind of resisted every call, Mm -hmm. never said yes to this and hired David Johnson to look into it and vowed that they would follow whatever his advice was. His advice was not to hold a public inquiry. And that sort of shut down um, any questions about where the government was going to go with this. Now they've sort of reopened the door of possibility to a public inquiry. And um, that that was a very interesting turn on Saturday that they're still open to this. But I mean, the question is, if you're going to rebuild trust uh, and Canadians' trust in democracy, simply going back to a special rapporteur after what we saw with David Johnston might not have that same effect. And so now the question is, will the government uh, go through with a public inquiry? Um, They are looking for uh, the opposition to try and bring forward ideas, bring a plan of action, talk about timelines, talk about who could possibly lead such an inquiry and uh, terms of reference, because let's let's remember, we're dealing with a lot of classified information here. Right. That is something that has to be protected and you need to have somebody who's going to be uh, dealing with that appropriately in a setting that is appropriate for the sensitive nature of such a conversation. It feels like the government is in a place where whatever they choose they're going to get nailed over because of the optics of this whole thing. So does the opposition need to pick a way forward? Well, that's sort of what the government is is saying in a way. They, uh, like I, Dominic LeBlanc flat out said, if you want an inquiry, show us. Show us your plan. Show us what you want. Show us who you want to lead this. Show us how you're going to deal with the classified information. Because David Johnston, when advising against an inquiry, raised all of those issues and said, look, this is, again, classified information that can't be aired out in public. Therefore, that's why a public inquiry is probably not the best way to handle this. That's why he was suggesting to have public hearings uh, on any public information that could be discussed. We saw sort of an example of how this could potentially work with Justice Rouleau and the Convoy Commission, where he did deal with national security information. He held closed-door meetings with representatives from law enforcement and national security agencies to go over 
information. And he was sort of, you know, I, I know the, the conservatives are using the term gatekeeper a lot, right. but he was essentially the gatekeeper of the information to say, okay, you know what? I do believe that this is uh, something that is in the public interest. And I don't believe that this would threaten national security. So even though you say it is, I might, you know, unredact this. But you know what? All this other stuff, yeah, we're, that's never seen the light of day and the public won't see that. But then he was able to summarize his thoughts on where things were. And I think that's sort of what we're getting at here. The opposition has made the Rouleau Commission example before, saying that we could do something like that. Mm -hmm. But that's essentially what they're asking for. Give us names. Give us your plan of action. Tell us how you would handle all of this. And we will do it. Now, the opposition leaders have to get together and try and come up with that. And so they've all vowed that they will work together. And it will be fascinating to see what they come up with, whether they publicly release their plan that they've submitted to the government or not. But again, it's not a for sure thing that they're going through with the public inquiry. Dominic LeBlanc says he wants to also talk with experts, with judges, people with knowledge of national security situations to also consult them on what the next step should be. So we'll have to wait and see what they decide. Um, but the possibility of a public inquiry is getting closer and closer. And, and one expert I was speaking with before we recorded this said, you know, look, the government's pretty much backed into a corner. And, and a couple of experts that I spoke to said they don't see politically how the government can really do anything else but a public inquiry right now to restore trust in Canada's democracy. But we'll, we'll have to wait and see. They can't just name another member of the Trudeau Foundation as another special rapporteur and just roll on? I think the vetting process with, uh, if, if it's a public inquiry, another rapporteur, I think the vetting process for that person will be probably a lot more thorough uh, than we had with the last one. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. In terms of the actual work being done, you mentioned that Johnston uh, will stay on until at maximum the end of June. I know from the last time we covered this that he was working right now on another report. What happens to that? Do we know where he is with that? Will anyone ever see it? We will. He he does plan on releasing a final report, uh, but, you know, there's going to be a question about that as well. I'm sure the opposition will not put a lot of weight into that, given uh, the concerns that they had about the integrity of Mr. Johnston uh, from the start of this whole process. But nonetheless, he is going to be releasing a final report at some point. Uh, I think in his letter, he did say he wants it to be earlier than the end of June, uh, but uh, he, he does plan to work until the end of June at the latest and get this report out there. Uh, for Canadians to see what his findings were. Uh, but, you know, from the last report, he really hasn't had much time at all to do any additional interviews, mm -hmm. uh, much additional work to try and get to the bottom of all of this. You know, there were questions as well about his work with his first report, why he didn't speak to certain people, such as Liberal MP Han Dong, who was named by some reports as being somewhat involved. There were questions about uh, conversations he had with 
someone in the consul general's office uh, of the Chinese embassy in Toronto. There are allegations there and questions, and yet uh, Johnston had not talked to him. So there are many questions about uh, the work that was done, and there hasn't been a lot of time since his last report to really do anything additional. It'll be interesting to see what his final thoughts are and what his final report says. Uh, but in terms of the opposition being satisfied, I, I don't think they'll put a lot of weight into that because ever since the start of this process, it has been public inquiry or bust for the opposition parties. After a weekend of statements and accusations from all sides, uh, the government and the various opposition parties, I know the House of Commons sat today. There was a question period. Uh, you were watching it. What was the vibe like there? What's uh, What was the atmosphere? Well, the prime minister wasn't in question period. So I think that impacted the vibe a little bit, if you will, uh, because he wasn't there to address questions around all of this. And uh, it's not the first time that we've seen one issue pop up on headlines and the opposition parties not initially focus on it in the House of Commons. Huh. It's, it's a tactic that they use to try and shed light on other issues when they know more eyeballs might be glued to the TV to watch question period than a, a normal day uh, where they decide to talk about something else that's more in their wheelhouse and put the government into, um, you know, a, a sticky situation or on the defensive. Today, uh, during question period, uh, Pierre Polyev and Jugmeet Singh with the NDP uh, were focused more on inflation and cost of living issues for Canadians with their opening rounds of questions. Interesting. And then we got into uh, questions on this issue, on foreign interference, but it was Deputy Leader uh, Melissa Lanceman from the Conservatives who was leading the charge uh, on the second round, if you will, you know, saying... This should have been the first resort, having a public inquiry, not the last resort for the liberals. Trying to attack the liberals, put them on the defensive again, um, and they responded much with what we heard over the weekend uh, with their lines saying that uh, it, you know, the opposition, if they want an inquiry, should be showing us their action plan. And so this back and forth sort of continued. I think what's going to be interesting is the Tuesday question period uh, when we're likely to see the prime minister back in action on the floor of the House of Commons after he took a trip to Ukraine over the weekend, which mm -hmm. is why he wasn't there for the Monday. That's the one where you might see a little bit more action from people like uh, conservative leader Pierre Polyev and NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. What are the chances that if they don't concede to a public inquiry, this is an issue that could lead to an election? If you've got uh, the two parties that could overturn the government uh, united on this? I would say don't expect to head to the polls anytime soon. And the reason for that is that the NDP has kind of ruled that out. The New Democrats say that this is not the issue that they're going to take the government down on at this time. Uh, they're not putting their supply and confidence deal with the liberals. And, you know, sometimes it, it can be easy for a lot of people to forget that this is still a minority government. And mm -hmm. technically, usually minority governments are frail and fragile and, and can quickly fall. Uh, but thanks to the supply and confidence deal between the liberals and NDP, uh, they can be propped up for as late as 2025, which is when we're expecting the next election. Well, that's why I was asking, because it does seem like conservatives and the NDP are not very often aligned on issues that could bring down a government. Yeah. And we do have this deal that comes with a bunch of conditions attached. And if the liberals don't live up to their end of the bargain, uh, the NDP will pull its deal. And then it would be like a normal minority government where every single 
confidence vote or money bill in the House of Commons uh, could potentially bring down the government. But the NDP is not saying it's going to do that at this time over the foreign interference issue. And part of the reasoning about that is that they don't want to head into another election without getting some answers about what happened in the last two elections with foreign interference that has raised this whole issue from the start. Right. Uh, so they're concerned about the path forward to make sure we don't have foreign interference problems again. That's why, or part of the reason why, they don't want to hold an election right now. There are other factors. Anytime a party decides to bring down a government uh, when they are the decision makers, as the NDP kind of are right now, and in a minority it takes all opposition, uh, usually all opposition parties to do that, but there are other factors. Fundraising, uh, support in the polls, timing that's right uh, in terms of whatever your issues and your agenda is as a party. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's not even about whether or not you think you can win and form government. It might be saving the deck chairs as you're going down if you know that this is the best chance you have to keep yourself alive or to keep yourself at a certain seat count. So there, there are a lot of factors that go into opposition parties choosing to take down a government, a government choosing to go to the polls and test the will of Canadians or to purposely try and bring itself down and make it look like the opposition was the one at fault to trigger the election. But because the NDP has said they're not going to bring down the government at this time, given what we have at the moment. They're not going to break their deal. We're not going to head to the polls. The conservatives who have strengthened the polls right now over the liberals, there are multiple polls that show that they're ahead of the liberals right now. They may love to go to the polls over this, but it just doesn't look like it's happening at this time. And I guess now we watch with the ball in the court of the opposition to figure out what comes next and if the liberals will accept it. Yeah. And uh, you know what? The other thing about the election call is that maybe this serves the conservatives better. If this is going to be another drip, drip, drip or death by a thousand cuts for a government, they may enjoy watching this sort of drag on month after month after month. As you say, the big question here will be, what does the government decide to do from here? There are a lot of people who thought it was a no-brainer that they would hold a public inquiry when they decided to call that news conference, and instead they announced a special rapporteur. Uh, So I'm not sure where they're going to go on this. There are a lot of experts and a lot of people who say they can't afford to do anything but a public inquiry right now, but nothing's 100% in politics until it's been announced. Cormac, as always, thank you for this, and uh, it seems like we'll be talking possibly sooner than later. Anytime. Cormac McSweeney reporting from Parliament Hill in Ottawa. That was the big story. For more, including the previous episodes in this ongoing saga, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. You can write to us via email, hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And you can, of course, call us and leave a voicemail, 416-935-5935. Put yourself forward for the job of special rapporteur. I don't know how long it'll last, but it's bound to be fun. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now.